What's good, peoples? Big said, Dennis Rico sign back with the first edition of My Friends Are Better Than Yours. And I have one of my friends on the other side of the screen who I've known for for, for a couple of years. I'll, I'll say a couple of years. Um, his name is DJ Kenny Parker from the worldwide famous Boogie Down Productions crew. Um, ah. I was supposed to read a bio, but y'all know me. I'm just gonna do what I want. But um, you know what? I, you know what? Someone advised me to like read a little intro, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm just gonna do what I usually do, and I'm going to allow Kenny to introduce himself, and then we gonna take it from there. You like that idea, Kenny? Let's rock, man. Let's do it. So, welcome to um the industry co-sign presents. My friends are better than yours, featuring DJ Kenny Parker. What's up? And we probably go back. Approaching 30 years, man. I'm telling on you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you're telling me yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already, you know, I'm out there, but we could easily, it could easily be 30 years, man. I can't even remember how or even where we met. It's probably in a club. Yeah, probably definitely. Because I hung, I got my hangout on <laughs> in the 80s and 90s. I was that dude. So, yeah, probably then. But but you know what I'm I'm surprised because I, I know you have a bas basketball background but I don't think you ever played in any of my celebrity games right? No, I don't think I was ever invited. Yeah, no. That's that's not it. And I I, I never I know I, I never got that call. Or maybe you called me and I you know. Well, we know we know how you are with phone calls. <laughs> we know how you are. Let me not go down that road. Yeah, we yeah we can. But I, I am surprised that you've had the same phone number for a number of years now because. Yeah, <laughs> I always tell you my number is always the same. Now, do I ever answer the phone? That's that's, that's a different story. That's yeah, different and it's yeah. funny because I've I've had I've had this number since I've gotten the industry. So when when people say to me, "Y'all yeah, been trying to get in touch with you," I'm like, "You're lying." My Yo, number hasn't changed. I got I'm friends sure. who said, "Give me your number," and they give me their phone, and I put my number in, and my number is already in their phone. Yeah, exactly. See, so that I, you know what? Exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, one of the reasons why you know we're here is, like I said, you know, we 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 go back a couple of years. We actually live in the same city. I won't reveal your location. Thank you very um, much. And you actually have a book. Actually, okay, okay. Let, let me rewind it a little bit more. Uh, for those who don't know, for the three people that may not know, DJ Kenny Parker has a younger brother, right? Older. Older brother. I'm just messing with Ten you. Months, <laughs> ten months apart. Um, Kenny Parker has a has an older brother. Um, I think his name is Chris something. I can't remember his name. But I think we all know him as KRS-One um, or something like that. O-N-E. <laughs> so um, Kenny Parker, the younger brother of KRS-One, who many consider to be one of the greatest lyricists in the history of Hip hop. I'm not gonna say rap because I don't want to hear his mouth. But exactly. And um, Kenny is is not just a brother. Kenny has been DJing for Boogie Down Productions for a number of years. I won't disclose that because I don't want his age to be revealed. <laughs> I'm out, but, I'm old man. <laughs> and at the same time, um, Kenny has been in the scene so many, so many, so many years. But he's recently written a book. As a matter of fact, let me put the title. The name of the book is My Brother's Name is Kenny. 
the greatest true hip hop story ever told. So I will allow Kenny to reveal why the name of the book is what it is and the reason for writing the book. Well, the title is two parts. First, my brother's name is Kenny is the line from the song, My Philosophy, that goes, my brother's name is Kenny. That's Kenny Parker. My other brother, ICU, is much darker. Shout out to ICU. I've heard that line probably every single day for the past 35 years. No joke. Maybe a couple times a day I'm walking down the street and I hear that same line. That, that, that line actually changed my life. That was a life-changing line when, when my brother said that line in the record. So I'm like, if I have a book, I have to title it this because that. And I tell how, in the book, I tell how I got to this, to my brother's name is Kenny. It's a whole long saga. But that was the first part. And then the greatest true hip hop story ever told. I'm not a type of person that would really say something like that. But as a hip hop fan, I've I've looked at everybody's story just about. And I believe that I honestly believe that no one has the journey, the hip hop journey that our group, my brother in particular, but both of us went through and to see where we were as children and to see what we became as adults. I think it's the greatest story ever told. Now, I know the reason why you state that is because as, you know, people who are Karis one fans know, because he said it in the record, you know, what was, the, what was the, one particular line where he says, um, I battled in the shelter. Yeah, there was rappers in the shelter system, and I used to diss them or something along those lines. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> but um, like I said, it's, it's not a secret that, you know, y'all were homeless at one time. Do yes. you want to, you know, expunge upon that? Um, Well... My brother was homeless. He was homeless most of his teenage years, actually. Um, a lot, some of it by choice, running away from home, things like that, and some of it not by choice. I became homeless not by choice. I did not want to be in those streets. <laughs> Trust me when I tell you, I wanted every parts of four walls that they had to offer. <laughs> I, I hear that. Oh. <laughs> I want a bed with a pillow and the whole night. However, <laughs> I'm not even trying to act like, yeah, I wanted to that. No, I didn't want none of that outside life. <laughs> I wanted all inside heat, heat life. But well, that, um, but that's yeah. a good thing about being the, the the hip hop, the greatest true hip hop story ever told. Because you know, you overcome some things that, as opposed to going to a life, going to a life of crime. Right. You know, you actually got your degree, you know, you're, you you look fine, you know, you're you're an author, you know, you, you've traveled the world. So that's amazing. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm 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 living a miracle. I feel like my life, I'm, I'm living a miracle. And then I actually watched. I, like I got to ride shotgun watching my brother's miracle. I mean, the amount of things that had to line up in a row for us to get from absolute poverty, child abuse, homelessness, crime, whatever you could think of statistically that would say those kids aren't going to make it. We were that. And for us to get from there to 
getting out of the hood, me through sports and my brother through music, I witnessed a miracle. And I'm like, I got to tell the world. Nobody's going to believe what I saw. Nobody's going to believe this, but I'm going to tell it anyway and hope people check it out. And it's funny because if like going back to back then, would you have even anticipated, you know, being involved in hip hop in the way that you've been involved? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> I couldn't believe, first of all, when my brother, my brother started talking about he wanted to be a rapper in 1979. When Rapper's Delight hit hit the airwaves this juvenile delinquent <laughs> put to put it mildly said he was going to be an mc there was like five rappers at yeah. that point yeah we were so far back in those days people that were on tv and on the radio weren't even really human beings to us like Good times. Like, if you saw Jay, JJ wasn't even a human to me. He was like, not even, these people aren't even real. They're like on TV or like people that made records. Like, you watch Soul Train and Diana Ross or, you know, Shaka Khan. These people, if somebody told me, yo, that I saw Diana Ross, but like, you're lying. It doesn't even exist. Yep. You know, I, 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 I've told this story before, but I love telling this funny story about D Train, the singer D Train. Um, from Brooklyn, I don't know if people know old school R&B singer who sings um, You're the One for Me. Do, 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 do. He had a bunch of R&B records back in the day. A girl that lived in my building said that she knew D-Train's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and we was like, wow! Like, you know, forget D-Train. You yeah. know D-Train's cousin? D-Train's cousin was a superstar to me. Like, if somebody had introduced me to I'd have been like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You're D-Train's cousin. That's how far removed we were from anyone who ever made any records back in the day. But so, I'm going to tell you what's funny. Sorry to cut you off. Mm -hmm. One of my best friends I went to high school with, her father was actually one of D-Train's producers, coincidentally. Wow. Hubert Eves. Yeah, it was yeah. the other guy in the group. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, um, Eves, incredible producer. And so, and so, and Dana Eves, his daughter, we went to high school together. We were best wow. friends in high school. So the fact that you bring wow. up D Train, like out of the out of the blue, it's like it's, it's amazing the connection how that worked. Because I felt back then, even though I went to school with future celebrities like Slick Rick and Dana Dana, and them, mm -hmm. the fact that, like you said, I knew somebody who knew somebody who worked with a celebrity and right. so I right. understand the, the, the whole mindset so I couldn't even conceive <laughs> we were so poor even in the poor neighborhood they was like y'all look terrible <laughs> you know what I mean even like you know what I mean we lived in the hood Brooklyn the Bronx even in the hood when everybody was on welfare they was like man y'all 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 look bad and in that environment my brother's like I want to make a record I'm like, you're out of your mind. I used to hate on him every day. <laughs> you're fucking. Especially like nowadays, you can literally make a record in your house and have it online. On your phone. Exactly. You can make a record on a phone. Exactly. So back then, there was a hope. Now, my, my younger friends always tease me about, well, how was it back in the days and this, this, that, and the other? I'm like, listen, if you go into a studio, I was like, first of all, the studio time, and you had to have reel the reels. I'm like, to lay music down, 
One, it probably took a couple of weeks. Then you had to mix it. Then you had to master it. Then you had to wait for it to come back. I'm like, that process was like a three, four month process. And you didn't even have a deal yet. The studio was like $100 an hour. An hour, yep. Who could afford to even go to a studio? And you could not make a record unless you went to a recording studio. You had to physically go there. And then you needed music. You either had to have a band or know a band. This is before sampling. Before sampling, exactly. <laughs> you had to have a band, something like that. It was a whole process. You need So who's going to write your song? It was a whole thing. So it was almost inconceivable to me that somebody from where we were from can make a record. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I coincidentally went to school with, you know, Slick Rick, Dana Dane, MC Search. So when they started doing it, even that was amazing because like hip hop was literally just starting. You know, Curtis, right. of course, Run DMC, right. they were out. But like you said, there's only like five rappers and, you know, you know, so, so, so to see that you knew people that were about to, like, if you told me then, actually, I can't front. Um, Slick Rick and Dana Dane, they had a crew called the Kango Crew. Mm -hmm. We kind of knew that they were, we, we thought as a crew, they were going to, you know, make it. Because right. They were like, they were like the celebrities of the school. And we went to um, music and art, the same school that, God bless the dead, Irene Carroll, who just passed away. Oh, rest in peace. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the movie Fame was about, performing arts, music and art. So we're going to the school and it's like everybody had these dreams of being, you know, artists and things, things of that nature. But then actually knowing somebody that was there, because I remember when Slick Rick did Lottie Dottie with Dougie Fresh, that was like, wow. Oh Out of God. this world. Oh, this, this, that, and the other. So, yeah. But, to, to, sorry to get off track, but um, mm -hmm. I forgot what we said. Oh, you said um, D-Train's friend or no your brother was recording he wanted to record because you were poor yeah okay right. he <laughs> thought he thought you gotta say my, my brother for the first 14 years of his life he just drifted through life pretty much doing absolutely nothing no <laughs> schoolwork no, he was just drifting i was really the lead yeah i was the one that had all the friends I was the one who, you know, played sports. I was the one who brought him everywhere. He was just existing. And then all of a sudden, I'm <coughs> going to be an MC. What are you, what are you, it was so ludicrous. I can't even describe how ludicrous he sounded to me in 79. We're like teenagers, We're like, like adolescents when he's saying this. <coughs> <laughs> We're like adolescents. But he, I mean, he did it, you know. He did, and it's a crazy. The journey was crazy. It wasn't like overnight. Like it was a crazy journey. How everything lined up for him, but he knew that's the only thing he ever wanted to do in his life. That's well, let me it. tell you, funny because being from the Bronx and growing up literally in the same vicinity as Africa Bambata, because we lived across the highway from where Bronx River was, and just knowing that the Soul Sonic Forces recording, and then. A record comes out that says South Bronx, South South Bronx. It's like, yo, now we never claimed South Bronx. We lived in the Southeast Bronx, but right. we never claimed the South Bronx because the South Bronx, the way I lived, I lived literally in the Soundview area, right by Soundview Park. Literally, the start of Soundview Park was like, I could walk right there to get to Soundview Park. 
So just to be in that area um, and then have somebody acknowledge and hip hop right away. Now we knew Cold Crush, um, all of those groups because of the, the, the they, they weren't mixtapes back then. They were right. just, you know, whatever we called them back then, but it was like, that's before mixtapes. But right. um, just hearing the Cold Crush Brothers and all that, because living near Bronx River, that's where hip hop literally like started, you know, especially, you know, I don't care where, where everyone else. So, so when Chris did South Bronx and said, this is where hip hop started. It's like, okay, our story's being told. I wanted to be a rapper just because I knew hip hop was about to be where hip hop became. And the funny thing is because, you know, back then they called hip hop a phase, like disco was a phase. Yes. But it's like what we saw in the Bronx, what we saw. Now the thing is me growing up, my mother, like I was, I was still like under 13. So my mother's like, you can't even get off the block, let alone go across the street. So exactly. what to see and see all our friends. And, and back then, remember crime, it was like 3000 murders a year. New York was the crime and murder capital of America. I laugh at people. They're like, oh, my God, crime is so bad. But, you know, I'm like, no, it may. You know, what? if we get three, four hundred murders a year, think about it. That's still 10 percent of what we had to experience growing up in the seven year after year. It wasn't a fluke. Yeah, it was, it was like decades of this. Every year. Every year was this. I, I, I've witnessed people get robbed in daylight. Daylight. Three o'clock, like when everybody's around. I got robbed in daylight. Every day coming outside as a kid. <laughs> Every day. And, and Every that's day. Why, yeah, and, and that's why I say to people like, like y'all think y'all have it rough? I'm like, that's, I'm like, no. We had it rough. We like, like, like to come home was like, yes, God, we made it. We Absolutely. Made it. it was like going through an obstacle course. Exactly. It was like living in Survivor. Because you always heard that somebody you knew got robbed. You knew every day you knew somebody that got robbed. There was no way around it. Specifically in the Bronx, in the Soundview, Bronx River area. I Soundview mean, was rough. Actually, yes. my brother, my brother had a group home. How far did you how far did you live from Stevenson High School? Stevenson High School was probably about, I say about a good 20 blocks if we did blocks. Like I could walk on a good day, but it was the, it was the zoned high school. Even though I went to music and art, Stevenson was the zoned high school. Like where, where like the corner of where I live, you walk straight and you hit Stevenson. My brother used to live in a group home about two blocks from there in like wow. 83, 84. Wow, that's yeah, that that's crazy. And even like um, because like I don't know if you remember um the boogie boys, fly girl, yeah, fly girl, fly fly. Rudy grew up the next building, right, 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 um, behind me. So it's like hip hop was brewing. Like we 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 saw MCs before they were MCs. And, and, and like I said, and I don't want to take the, the, the conversation away from you, but like I said, then going to high school with the people I went to high school who became, I mean, Slick Rick is one of the greatest storytellers yes. Yes. ever. Yes. And, and I, went to, I went to high school with him. Dana Dane, I went to high school with him. Now so, imagine, <laughs> we were different because at this point we lived in Brooklyn. We were so far removed. Like hip hop was brewing in the Bronx 
But the Bronx and Brooklyn are like two different states. Yeah. Really. Like people like like when you live like uptown Harlem, the Bronx, Brooklyn, these are Queens, these are like different states almost. Yeah, exactly. So where we was at in Brooklyn, Flatbush was reggae music. Yeah. Hip hop wasn't even in our vicinity really. It, we was just hearing about it 78, 70, but it wasn't in our vicinity just like that. So we didn't know anybody. I didn't go to school. I didn't know any, I'm trying to tell you, I didn't know anybody who did any, not on TV, sports, radio, nothing. <laughs> Zero. And my brother is saying he's going to be an MC. You're bucking. I couldn't even believe we was we had zero food in the refrigerator. I'm sitting there looking in the fridge. You ever look in the refrigerator like five times and you know there was nothing there the last four times you went in there, but you go in there and you just open it up and look anyway, like maybe I don't know, maybe I missed something. That's where we was at, and he's talking about he gonna make a record. Your buck. Especially back then when like today, like anybody can wake up and be like, you know what? I have a computer, so I could be a rapper. But back then, like you said, woo. There was no computers. There was. No... I, 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 I mean, let me stop saying how astronomical it sounded, but it was just, it was just so far fetched, you know. And me, I wanted to play sports, so you know, me, I was in a whole different world. I was playing basketball, but even that, like, we never saw any NBA players, like. You know, I eventually played against people who eventually made it to the league. But yeah. at that time, it, nobody came back to the hood to go, look, everybody, you can make it. It was none of that. Dudes got some money. They was gone. <laughs> <laughs> nobody came to my school talking about, you know, you could do it too, young man. It was none of that shit. Well, I, I was actually lucky because, you know, growing up in the Bronx, you know, Malik Seeley, Ross Strickland. Shout out to him. Shout out to like, him, yeah. Know, um, you know, like people say to me that know like where I grew up and who I grew up with was like, you must have had an amazing. And I'm like, it was, but it's like, it was still dangerous. <laughs> but like I said, you know, we lived in a city where, yeah, you might be able to do something great later in life, but you had to beat a lot of people to get to it. So it's like. Survival yeah. of the fittest. Survival really. of the fittest really and um yeah <laughs> you had to be exceptional definitely to make to make it in, in in any genre that you was trying to be you had to be exceptional the competition level and just to survive going from point a to point b and then to 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 earn earn your talent yeah the only the cream of the cream made it out and even then, it's by a slim chance, too. Slim. Slim. And growing up in the Bronx during the 70s, the Yankees was the team. They were Reggie a dynasty. Jackson was a god. So it was like the only thing we had to look forward to was baseball because Yankee Stadium was like literally like a 20-minute a, a bus ride away from us. And, you know, we could, we could actually go to games back then because I think like these seats were like a dollar. And the games yeah, weren't sold. Yankee games gonna, weren't sold out back then like it yeah. is now. Corporations buying tickets and all that. <laughs> you can't stay on a block to get to a game today, you know. So, but um, but okay. So let's get back to the reason why you wrote the book. Like, why do you feel that your story needed to be told? Well, it was a combination of things building up. 
first of all, they've been trying to do a, 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 a KRS-One BDP story for years, decades, going back to the early 90s. Um, HBO was going to do something, but then it fell through. And then sometime in the 2000s, we had a big uh, Academy Award winning director who wanted to get on board. So it was going to they were going to do it and it fell through. However, one of the writers who was writing the, the uh, what you call it, screenplay was saying how, yeah, so we're going to do this story and we're going to start with Karis one was in the shelter and he met Scott LaRock and they started Boogie Down Productions. And I was like, I said to him, yo, man, there's a whole story <laughs> leading up to this. Like, by the time Chris met Scott in the shelter, he was already KRS-One at this point. Yeah. There's a whole lead up that's wild. The guy said, yeah, 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 Kenny, yeah, yeah, just, you know, we'll, we'll get you, you'll be okay. Yeah, whatever, like that to me. So I'm like, damn. No, that was the first like inkling. Like, I need to tell the story because no one is going to hear this side of it. Not, no one's going to hear this tale. And like me, me and Chris always say, people think criminal minded is the beginning of a story. For us, it's the end of a story. Yeah. So that was the first reason that made me want to write the book. So I went to Chris and I was like, you know. I want to tell this story about our childhood because a lot of unbelievable things happen to us growing up to get us to this point. But, you know, if I want to tell the story, I want to tell the whole story, you know, the most embarrassing things, everything. And I was like, you know, you have a, 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 a specifically crafted image over 30 years. So I don't want to say anything to ruin your, you know, your image. So, you know, what can I really say? And his exact words were, I don't give a fuck. Tell it all. <laughs> like that. So once he said that, I was like, oh, it's on now because now I'm going to tell everything. Yeah. You know, my family, secrets, everything. Because I have to show how far down the totem pole we were to show you the rise. Yeah. So that, that also was the cat. Chris gave me the green light to write, to tell the story. And I'm like, if I don't tell a story, I'm the only other person other than him that could really tell the story. Cause I sat there and watched the whole thing with, you know, I was part of it and I watched it together. So I'm like, I'm going to tell this story and, um, and, and, and see if people, you know, will even believe it <laughs> truthfully. <laughs> Cause there's a lot of stuff in there. You're going to say that that's not really true. And it's really true. <laughs> I actually want to bring up um, one instance because I, I know you have a million stories. Yes, I do. But I want to make, I, and I know you've, you've been talking about it for years and you'll probably talk about it for years to come. I remember, I can't remember the exact year, but I remember when, uh, when me and Tuffy were hanging out, we went to this club and we saw you. Um, you were near the DJ booth. I think um, DJ Clark Kent was spinning. Um, and you were like, well, hey, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. And there was a certain artist who actually dissed your brother in a magazine right before this happened. So I know I was surprised when I saw you because I'm like, well, I always saw you out and about. Mm -hmm. I never saw Chris. Like mm -hmm. it was rare to see Chris unless. Right. 
Right. The, I remember you say, "Hey, what's going on? You know what you doing here? You know this is that." Other. He's like, "Yo, something's about to go down. I can't say when it's going to happen, but something's about to go down. You just need to pay attention." Yes. We look at each other and we're like, "Hmm, okay." You know, we we're not thinking anything. We're like, "Okay, you know, we know Kenny. We see Kenny all the time. We speak right. blah, blah blah blah." So we go ahead. We know we're at the party. Coincidentally, we're near the stage at this party. I'm not even gonna mention the, the, the venue yet. So, like, I remember when you know this this artist was coming to the stage, they were announcing, I forgot who who announced them, but I know um I remember nice and actually we we got we we were there with nice and smooth. Shout we to came, them. We came there with nice and smooth. That and I think they were performing that night if I'm yes. yes. So then um I think I have to mention the people now because it, it would make sense. So this group called Bless the Dead. PM Dawn yes. comes on stage. So I remember what you stated, right? Something told me to look back because the DJ booth was, uh, was 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 in the back risen. Mm-hmm. So I happened to look back and I saw you going where Clark Kent was. And I looked up and went down, I was like, okay, I didn't think anything about it because I'm like, okay, well, I'm like, why would, nah, you know what? Let's just watch the show, whatever this, that, other. And then I, all I remember, I don't remember the exact details, but I remember the, the circumstances. All I remember was um, somebody started performing, and then I think it was like a, or whatever, in the D- DJ booth, and then a BDP track came on. Then I saw three big guys coming on the side of the stage, and all of a sudden... Throughout the pandemonium, I see a guy by the name of Chris Parker on stage. What I think it was, I think it was Willie D. Yes. And somebody else, I can't remember. But the next thing I know, PM Dawn is on the ground. I mean, what, what what's his name? PM Dawn was a group name. Um, Prince B. Chris B was on the ground. And I swear to you, I tell him when right, right when that happened, because if this was if this was now. Social media would have been crazy. It would have broke the internet. It would have, yeah, it would have been crazy. But the funny thing is that that night, like nobody knew, of course, not until the next day, because I mean, even with magazines, radio stations may have had that access, but even with magazines, you still had to wait to print it up. And mm-hmm. it wasn't internet yet. So it's like, mm-hmm. if I didn't see that, I would not have believed it. And Chris got on stage and just started performing. The place, it was as if like it was uh, the last time that you're ever going to see Carol from performing. And everybody was so, because nobody expected it. And the fact yeah. that that happened, I felt bad for Prince B. But at the same time, I'm saying to myself, because I read the article, I'm like, you kind of deserved it. Because you can't discare as one and then come to New York and expect, like, if not Chris himself, you know, anybody associated, because you know how hip-hop is, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's either going to want to get the respect of the person that got dissed or whatever. That's just, you know, hip-hop culture. But it was just so amazing because then I remember looking back up to you and you're, you know, on the, you know, in the booth mm-hmm. doing what you're doing. And me and Tuffy, you look at each other. And I think, um, I think by this time, I think Nice and Smooth was on. I don't know what happened, but that was one of the best nights of my hip-hop life that will always stand out. When people ask me, what is one of your most memorable um, 
things in hip hop. I'm like, there's some video shoots I've been to, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, yo, the night when Karis One went on stage, and and I know it wasn't Chris that actually did it. Mm-hmm. But of course, because it was Karis One and the whole thing, it was mm-hmm. like when Chris threw Prince B off the stage. And I'm like, it didn't go like that, but we're going to go with that narrative because it just sounds right. <laughs> right, 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 but, right. Um, yeah, I mean, so like, I, I, and I know you've discussed it before, and like I said, just to give a little context, so that way anybody watching now can get a little understanding. And the only reason why, like I said, I brought it up because I was actually there. Yes, you were. And, and to actually see it is, I mean, there's, there's very few things that I've witnessed within hip-hop that so many people would be jealous of, and this is definitely one of them because that was a talking point literally for a year, and this was like yes. internet. Everybody yes. was talking about it, you know. What, what, like, what, like, how did that come about? Well, first of all, that was one of the most infamous moments in hip hop history. Yes. And it, what, the way it happened wasn't the way it was supposed to go down when we initially went there. And, you know, um, and we got in a lot of trouble for that too, by the way. But, (laughs) um, but, What happened was, the like you said, Prince B said some things in a magazine about BDP. He said, well, first he did, they, they asked him about rap groups. Keep in mind, PM Dawn had the number one record in America. At they this were point. hot. So, okay. so, that, so I, I don't know how to really compare that to anyone who would be out now, but to have the number one song and a rap song, it was very rare for rap to even get on the charts like that. For a rap song to be number one. Period. Not just number one rap, but number one. One in the country. So he was extremely hot. And they asked him about other rappers in a magazine. And he said, NWA ain't talking about nothing. Public Enemy is making mountains out of molehills. (laughs) And and KRS-One calls himself a teacher. A teacher of what? Like this. (laughs) So like a week later, Chris was doing an interview in the same magazine. So they asked him, well, how do you feel about Prince B? You know, dissing you. And Chris was like, oh, you know, what are you talking about? And so the guy told him what Prince B said. And all like a bunch of coincidences lined up. Because coincidentally, I found a flyer maybe a few days after this of that party. So we were in the studio working, and I showed Chris, yo, look at this flyer. Prince B, it appeared to be at this party. And he's like, I'm going to battle him. That was the goal. I'm going to go on stage, and I'm going to battle him, and I'm going to show him why they call me the teacher. That was the goal going there. And, you know, some people are like, oh, y'all went there to beat up PM Dawn. Like, we really didn't go there to be at people. I went there. I had a bag of records. Like, if I was going somewhere to fight somebody, I would not bring a bag of records, headphones, needles, and all of this stuff with me. That's the last thing I would be carrying. However, we went there to battle Prince B. I remember I saw you. We, we was there for a while. I remember I saw you. Shout out to Tuffy. I saw Tuffy. And um, I went up to the DJ booth a little bit before Prince B was going to get on so I could be ready to throw on some records when Chris came on stage. But what happened was, you know, once you have an entourage, and in this entourage, Willie D, like, you know, rest in peace to Willie D. Willie 
yeah, yeah. Um, people that know Will from back in the day, you know, he's a little, little, mm -hmm. what's the word? A little loose. Aggressive. <laughs> yeah, Will could be a little aggressive. Just Ice was with us. That's the that's the meaning of aggression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was the first hip hop Debo, probably. <laughs> and, and a few other guys, ICU, few, you know, it was like six of us. And I think they got a little overzealous when when you know when Chris came on the stage. Willie D just did what he did and just decided, you know, they just, you know, boom, catch him, push him off the stage. And I'm up there watching this. I was waiting for the battle. But once Prince B was off the stage and Chris grabbed the mic, the battle, the battle was over. <laughs> I was up, after one, I'm still number one. And the place exploded. Yo, yeah, I was about to say that was so on point. I'm still number one. You know, I don't know if people understand because if you weren't there, you know, a lot, you know, a lot, I, I'm still, I'm even getting a lot of heat on the on the internet and comments. There's people still mad thirty years later, like, oh, y'all should have done it at the PM doing blah, blah blah. Okay, cool. <laughs> but if you were there in the building, yeah, it was like a thousand people. It was an MTV party for T Money. It was a T Money's birthday party. Yep. That play, I've never seen a crowd that wild. I can't even really compare it to anything that I've seen. It was almost like slam dance. It was like, it was like, because they started fighting. Like they just started fighting them. It just, they just went crazy. It was like, <laughs> yo, it was like, it was nothing you've ever seen before or since that day. And um, unfortunately for Prince B, he took the L. You know, yeah. I go in, I go into it in detail on my YouTube channel. Um, if you want to hear the whole story, I go into deep detail. But to make a long story short, <clears throat> we went there to battle PM Dawn, and things got out of control. And once the music came on, it was animalistic. It was animalistic in there. <laughs> Is that a word? Animalistic. I'm going. I was happy I witnessed it. Yes, I was happy to witness it too. If I wasn't, if I wasn't DJing, I would have lost it too. I lost it, and I saw what happened. And, and I hate to bring this up in in, in the context, and I'm bringing it up, but it happened. Another incident that happened, which was at my birthday party years ago, was like the only thing that could match that almost is when DJ Scratch. I might go put him out there like that, but DJ Scratch smacked another DJ. Wow. For some stupid shit at my birthday party, and he smacked him so hard, everybody at the party heard it. It was on all hip hop the next day. Wow! Like between those two, and the reason why it was exciting to me because it was at my birthday party. <laughs> so it was like my birthday party was mentioned on these blogs on all hip hop. I mean, I had my site. I didn't even right. mention the website, but the fact that all hip hop was like at Big Sam's birthday party of the industry co-sign and this, this, that, and the other. I'm oh. like, yes, yes, yes. And, and yeah, the, 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 the energy. Scratches from Albany Projects in Brooklyn. Yeah, and people yeah, don't yeah. know that you're watching. Albany Projects is yeah. rough. He, he does not so, play. So, you yeah. know, I mean, a guy from Albany, you got, you got in a tussle with a guy from Albany Projects, and this is what happened. 
and, and I, I give it, and Scratch was very patient. Like I said, I don't want to take away from the conversation, but Scratch was very patient. But like I said, the only reason why I brought that up was because there were very few, very few moments that I can like light up. And like, like, like I said, this situation and the DJ Scratch situation. And it's like, um, and I know it's kind of bad for me to be smiling so much <laughs> about somebody getting smacked or somebody getting thrown off. Was stage. it a known DJ that got smacked? Yes. Yes, um, <laughs> I will tell you when the when the cameras are off. <laughs> and, and he's still kind of popular today, and um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you when the cameras are off. Wow! <laughs> but like I said, I, I I had to mention that because, like I said, I think that's one of the best hip hop moments, not from a standpoint of somebody being violent, but from right. the standpoint of seeing the crowd react in such a way where I've never seen that. And like you said, I haven't seen it since. And you know, between the two of us, as many years that we've been in this game, we've been to many concerts, many stadiums. Oh man, the just the intensity. Like I said, if social media was there back then. If somebody was filming that, Mm. I can't even imagine what it would be like now to see because because back then this was on every news channel. It yeah. was on MTV News, it was in the Daily News, the post like Rolling Stone, Billboard, like yeah. every news channel was covering this PM Dawn incident. And it so if there was if it was today social media, I couldn't even imagine. People Chris might have went, went platinum though. Chris might have went platinum. No, but yeah, yeah, he definitely would have. <laughs> You know, the new album would have sold through the roof, <laughs> but that's either here nor there. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm gonna ask you a question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this, mm -hmm. and um, I've always been curious about this, only because you'll understand when I ask. Um, and I, I don't want to like bring it down a little, but based on the fact that you're the DJ for BDP after Scott LaRock had passed away, if Scott LaRock had passed away. What like were you would you have still been involved in the hip hop in some way outside of being your brother's brother? And when I say being your brother's brother, of course you're always gonna be your brother's brother. But I'm like, you know, you you filled a role that was kind of like, and, and and that that's 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 another question as well. Like, um, was that a natural thing for you to slide in, or was it like 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 you know speak about that? Like I said, a two part question. Like, do you think that if Scott Rock didn't pass away? Would you have become a DJ? And two, after he passed away, um, and I knew it took some time. I know it wasn't like, okay, he passed away, then next day you're doing a show. Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk about that. Well, to answer the first question, I would say no. If Scott LaRock had have lived, I probably would not. I didn't even see, my ambitions weren't even to be in rap. I just was so happy that my brother was, was doing it. I, all I ever wanted to be was on the guest list. <laughs> Make sure when there's a show, I'm trying to be there. That's as far as I saw it Yeah, coming up. Um, D-Nice, shout to D-Nice, nice. who's, who's doing it gigantic right now. <laughs> um, he replaced Scott LaRock as the DJ that's right. yeah, that's right. of, of BDP right after Scott passed. And um, it just so happened, like I talk about how things line up. When I graduated from college, I immediately had no job. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so I moved into my brother's crib briefly right out of college. He is also a DJ. He had equipment set up. He had all the records. Karis, actually, Karis one scratched on a lot of the songs that you hear. I never knew that. In my philosophy, in the beginning of my philosophy, it goes, so you're a philosopher? Yes. Zika Zika, yes. I think very deeply. That's KRS going, Zika Zika, yes. I think very deeply. He actually probably scratched on all of those songs. Um, yeah, so Chris is a DJ as well. So I asked him to show me how to DJ just so I can make tapes for my Walkman. Yeah. Because back then, the only way you could really hear hip hop was on the weekends. You had to wait for Red Alert at 11 p.m. too <laughs> late. And if your song, if you went to the bathroom and you missed your song, that was another. Yeah, wait week. for another. Yeah, another week. Hear <laughs> <laughs> your song. So I'm there at Chris's crib, and he had he used to buy all the records. He used to buy everything. So he had all the records and equipment. I asked him to show me how to DJ just so I can make tapes. Yeah. At the exact same time, D-Nice was going solo to work on his solo project. My name is D-Nice and all of that. So there was a little void where BDP needed a DJ. And so my brother could have picked anybody in the world at that point. But it just so happens his little brother <laughs> is in the music room DJing. <laughs> Hey, I have an idea. Thing, <laughs> I've been DJing all of two months. <laughs> and next thing you know, I was on a world tour. Yeah, I would say, yeah, now you're traveling the world. It was, a, it was a fluke. It happened, it happened just like that. I had no dream. Even when I started DJing, I didn't even dream of DJing for BDP. But it happened so fast. Like, bang. So, but yeah, if Scott hadn't have passed, I wouldn't have been the DJ. So I don't even see me getting into the music game like that because I wasn't even thinking like that. Yeah. It was all about basketball for you at, the, at that time. At that time. But then when I graduated from college, then it was all about, well, you're not going to the NBA, so... Uh, <laughs> Gotta make some money somehow. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? And it's like, you know, in college, like one day you're in the dorms and the next day is get out. You know what I mean? You know. New students are coming in. You got to go. We like, have your replacement. Could you move it along? <laughs> and luckily, you know, I was able to 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 stay at Chris's house, which led, you know, so like I said, led to all of these things. One thing I found out actually today is that you lived in Lennox Terrace. Yes. I used to live in Lennox Terrace. Were? <laughs> but this was more recent. This was like right. 15 years ago. Actually, more than 20 years ago. I, I, I was there for eight years, but I found out today you lived in Lennox Terrace. I was like, whoa. As a child, yes. I, I was like, how are, you, how are you homeless if you're living in Lennox Terrace? <laughs> it's a crazy story how we went from riches to rags. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Basically, because Lennox Terrace, when we lived there, was one of the best high-rise buildings in New York City. New York we had City. cable. Yep. In 1971, we had cable. I had cable in my bedroom as a five-year-old. Shit, the Bronx, we didn't get cable until the 90s. 
Exactly. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> we moved from Lennox Terrace. I don't want to give too much away because I, I I tell the detailed story, but we moved from there to the Bronx and it was culture shock. Culture Trust shock. me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> from Lennox Terrace in Harlem was fancy. I mean, Bumpy Johnson used to live there and uh, Melba Moore lived in our building when we were there. And she was like a big Broadway star and Melba Moore was living in our building. Like that was like a fancy building. And then next thing you know, we was in the Bronx. Yeah. Well, when I lived at Lennox Terrace, Eve, the rapper, lived under me for a short oh, time. Shoot. Governor Patterson um, lived in the building. Percy Sutton lived in a different mm -hmm. building. So it was like, yeah, I was surrounded by, you know, dignitaries. DJ Alamo, actually, I think he still lives there. He lived Shout there. out to Alamo. Alamo, Alderman. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he, he lived, like I said, he lived... I lived. I moved in like right after him, and he's still. I wish I was still there, but um, yeah. Lennox Terrace was as a doorman. We had a. Do they still have a doorman there? Yeah, they had a doorman in uniform. It was yo Lennox Terrace. Lennox Terrace is, is, is officially luxury, luxury buildings. Yes, and people don't realize that because Lincoln Projects is right here. You know, one twenty one twenty fifth is a couple of blocks away, and it's like so. People are like, well, I'm like, yeah, but. In that little area, yeah, the, the people with money lived in that building, and they definitely made sure, you know, everything was what it needed to be. But um, and when, when we lived there in the seventies, Harlem looked like a war zone, like burnt yeah. out buildings, and 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 heroin addicts. It looked horrible. And then there was Lennox Terrace in the middle of all in the of middle of like an island, <laughs> like an island, like a fancy island. I thought I thought I was I thought I was a I was a privileged kid until yeah. things happened. But it's funny because I, I would tell people that growing up in the Bronx, like I would never have lived in Harlem during that time. And when I yeah. moved to Harlem, it was just getting a little bit better. And I was like, okay. But the difference between Harlem and the Bronx is really slight. Well, they're more fashionable in Harlem. Harlem, like, yeah. And in Harlem, nobody on the street goes home. Like in the Bronx, like there's, there's, a, there's a time limit to be out in the street. Right, right, right. You know, the niggas go home. Right. But in Harlem, I would leave to go to a party at 9, 10 o'clock. I come back 4 o'clock in the morning. These same niggas would be on the corner like nothing. And then when I wake up in the morning to go to work, they're still there. Dedicated. Like, what is it? You know what always fascinated me? A lot of these dudes that hustle and be like, yo, I can't do a nine to five. You know what I'm saying? I got to do hustle. And they be outside 20 hours in the two degrees. New York gets really cold. It'd be like two degrees outside. They'd be out there 20 hours. And they'd be like, I can't do a nine to five. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Wah. And it was dangerous back then. Yes. You know, people want to get shot up at the job. They'll get shot up on the street, on the corner. The streets was off the, New York was off the, you know, but I, like they said, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. It's really true. Like once you go, it's like boot camp. Once yeah. you go through New York growing up, you can take that anywhere and just be good. I told people, I don't think I could live outside of New York. I'd have to be like retired, like not wanting to do anything. Right. I agree. You know, and, and it's like, um, and even like, of course, like 20 years ago, oh, but it's so dangerous. I'm like, but what New York has that most places didn't have was grit. And when I say grit, people think that I mean like dirty crime. I said, no, grit, the heart of the city, the soul of the city, like you knew, like it, it was like some, 
some type of power you had knowing that if I survive, I am greater than any and everyone. Mm -hmm. And if you survived any of these horrid places, you will walk high anywhere you went and didn't care because you're like, you know what? I lived in Brooklyn. I lived in Bed-Stuy. It's like you got armor on. Yeah. And people didn't understand it. I'm like, now it's different. Like now it's like Disneyland in comparison. And even though crime has gotten a little bit worse in the last two years since the pandemic, I'm like, I tell people, I'm like, this is not bad. Nowhere near. I'm not scared at all. I wasn't scared back then. I was concerned. I tell people right. the difference between being concerned and being scared. I was scared to go to Brooklyn, but I was concerned for being on the streets of New York. <laughs> but you know, <clears throat> New York has a rhythm. And once you understand New York and you understand how to maneuver, you know, you're good. It's when you don't maneuver in the rhythm, that's when you get into problems. You know, if you if you know, and I, I had to learn the hard way, like we all did growing <laughs> up. But once you learn the rhythm of New York, you you're not scared. You understand it. But if you go off the rhythm, that's when there's problems. Like go home. <laughs> and I would tell people, I used to go to the pink houses. I used to see this girl in the pink houses. Walking. I'd be on the train for an hour and a half coming from the Bronx. Two I train, huh? Two train. The A train. The A, okay. The A train to the whatever the stop is to catch the C, two other stops. I can't remember the stop thing, but my people in Brooklyn was like, what is wrong with you? He was like, yo, they rob each other out there. What do you <laughs> do? You go out there just to see a girl? And the girl would like send me, she would send me in a cab to Manhattan because I wasn't driving back then. Right, right, right. Nobody so was driving. Here. Nobody had a car. Yeah, no, yeah, everybody yeah. was on the train. And the thing is, and people were like, how did you survive? I said, one thing I've learned in the streets of New York, if you look soft, they're attacking you. If you try to look hard, they're attacking you. Absolutely. That's if the you secret. mind your business, go about your business as if nothing's going on without being oblivious, they're not fucking with you. Guys That's would, the secret. Guys would be looking at me, giving me the, 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 the stink eye, and I'm like, Lord, just let me. I'm and my heart is beating. I'm like, Lord, just let me get through these two blocks, you know, and this is that and the other. And they would look at me like, and the thing is, they would look at you like, you're either crazy or well protected. Because I had no care in the world, but at the same time, I was cautious. Right. Gave them their respect. That's, but at that's the same how you time, move. I'm like, I'm going to move in a way where you don't feel disrespected. Because if I'm walking in front of you just to walk in front of you, niggas will be like, son, you really just did that? That's really exactly how that? it happens. Exactly I, how I've it happens. It too many times. That fast. And I'm like, so like my boys, like my boys be like, yo, I don't even go to pink houses. Them niggas are fucking great. I'm like, yo, yo, she's got, I'm like, yeah, she was definitely, yeah, she looked good enough. I'm like, but never I'm go to nobody's time. projects. It's never go to a project if you don't, it's never. That's rule number thing one. Is, but the thing is, where she lived in the projects, I had to walk through the projects. <laughs> I didn't know. She didn't tell me. Uh, she, she set you up. She said, yeah, you, you know what? My boy's like, yeah, she was setting you up, but. I went out there several times. She actually really liked me. That's why she would send me, she would send me in a cab and give me money. 
That was the test. If he could, go, if he could come all the way to the pick houses to see me, he must be. He must be about something. Yeah, most you know, dudes would have been like, "Uh, where do you live? Pink houses? Um, sorry, I, is that my phone? I don't even have a cell phone." But <laughs> yo, but like I said, it was, yeah, New York was definitely crazy. But, but let me ask you a question: the industry that we're in today versus the industry that we came up in, if social media was around late '80s, '90s. How do you think hip hop in general would be? Wait, before you answer, before you answer, I'm gonna throw this caveat. Remember, artists were exclusive back then. Nobody can get to anybody. Nowadays, I can get a tweet and the game might respond to it. Like, oh shit, the game responded to my tweet. Right. Back then, like I said, I may have seen Karis One in the total of me being around. Well, no, I'd be exaggerating if I say only five times. But um, I mean, in the span of 30 years, I may have seen him 20 times and I'm in the industry. Right. Right. So somebody like him is like, yeah, it's like, you know, there's people that you see everywhere, like like Drez, you used to see everywhere. Shout so to Drez. Certain people, yeah, you see them everywhere just because they're just out and about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but um, how would social media have affected the way? We interacted with artists back then. Well, first of all, I think we had a lot of free movement in that there was nobody watching us. That's true. That is true. So, uh, you know, this generation now, every, I I would say 90% of the things that goes on in hip hop right now, you are aware of. Somebody either filmed it, TMZ got information, the artist posted it on their own site. You pretty much know everything. In the 80s and 90s, you what y'all people know now is probably 15%, maybe 20% of all the stuff that happened. You, you got like this much information of the things that happen every day in hip-hop. So I think freedom of movement causes people to do a lot of different stuff. I think... Um, a lot more people would have went to jail back in the day, I think, because dudes was out of control. I mean, the way I, you know, I look now, I, I, I DJ in clubs now. I look at security in clubs now, and I'm thinking to myself, you couldn't even have worked. Like, I'm looking at dudes in clubs, and I'm like, they would have just ran. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even want to take this interview in that direction, but. <laughs> The, the 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 aggressiveness of the hip hop environment at that time. I think if you could have captured it on videotape, now you'd be shocked now to see things that just went on in Union Square and Latin quarters in the tunnel. Um that was happening every week when we when we used to go there. This was a regular party. Like if you went to the party, you know things were gonna happen, but you still was in there every week. Um, you just hope that it wasn't you that, that, that would catch it that right. time. You had to know how to move in the party. You had to know how to move. But are you, are you talk about collaborations. Like back then, nobody collaborated with anybody. I mean, you look at there was self-destruction, the symphony. Even the symphony was a crew. That was the Juice Crew guys got yeah. together 
and did a thing. Artists didn't even really make records with each other like that. You had to be in the same place to make a record. Now yeah. I could send you my vocals. You know, I could send you vocals. You could send them over here. Somebody could add to a singer, send it back here. I'll mix it over here. We could be wherever, like how we're talking. Yep. Some days, if you wanted to make a record with somebody, everyone had to be there. Be there at the same time. At the same time. Or if I record here in LA, I had to take the two inch and FedEx it to you in New York. It's going to take a week for you to get it. You messed with it. And then FedEx it back to me. It'll take two weeks. Now, like we're talking right here, we could sit here and map out something. I could record it, send it to you. We could finish the song in a night and have it on worldwide platform in a few hours. I think maybe more artists would have collaborated maybe back then if there was social media. Or maybe there would have been more battles. But even though I don't, I'm not even sure about that because back in those days, losing a battle was career ending. It's not like now, you know, two dudes could battle and then they're like, okay, they made a record. Now let's go back to what we were doing before. Back in those days, if you had a battle and you lost your credibility, you couldn't get back on records. They're like, I'm the illest, I'm the nicest, I'm the illest. You just got smoked. It was over for you. So I don't even think there would have been more battles, in my opinion. I don't think that would have happened. But maybe more collaborations, more artists would have gotten trouble if you could have seen what was people were doing and crews and crews were doing more artists would have probably got embarrassed like you said a, a dj got slapped you know how many people would have filmed that now there would have been 50 people that would have had that been been online. yeah that would have been online that night then like you said you could not say the dude's name and we could never know who it was that got slapped <laughs> if you wasn't there you missed it so, you know, I think, and that's another reason for me, you know, I wrote my book as I wanted to document some things that I saw and things that happened in my crew that most people don't know about because I want my book to be like reference material. Like if yeah. you're doing some research, what's up with BDP? Or let me go to Kenny's book and I can quote out of this book and it'd be accurate, you know, in, in, in whatever you're talking about now. So that's another reason why I wrote the book to document things that weren't documented. Well, let me ask you a question because you came up at a time where um, pre-Keith Murphy days where rappers never used their real name. Why, why, why did you go with Kenny Parker? Because my well, brother said my brother's name was Kenny. That's Kenny Parker. <laughs> I yeah. was, that was my name. You my whole name too. It's not like you know. I was I was Kenny or I was KP to my KP, friends. Yeah. All that was over. <laughs> the next day, that was over. I was Kenny Parker, full name, and 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 it just stuck, you know. So then I became DJ Kenny Parker. It's just so long, but there was not. I couldn't have been anything else. Like it, that's just what it was. That record was so powerful. Yeah. I don't know how people remember that that record like that. I had no idea. See, my name. philosophy was definitely a big well. That was a huge record, well, and, and that it's, was a huge. It was still a classic, right? You put it on now, people were like, "Yo, yeah, that was a big record. That was BDP's first real big video, too." Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. But um, yeah, I think we've basically co covered a lot. Um, is there anything that you like? I mean, what, what do you have coming up? Do you have anything coming up? Um, anything you want to discuss? Or anything um, that, you, that you may want to do that you haven't started yet? 
Well, like I said, I just started my YouTube channel. It's been about two months, two and a half months old. And I have a bunch of stories of things that I saw that I want to tell that I found. Some of them I found funny. Some of them I found shocking. Some things like people like the PM Dawn story. Some other things that I just I, I posted. I have a bunch of stories that I just want to tell for people that just love hip hop. Yeah. So, um, you know, because I was blessed to ride shotgun to see some of the most amazing things in hip hop. And as a hip hop fan, I can't believe that I got to, you know, enjoy this ride. Yeah. Um, you know, people always talk about being the man next to the man, you know, and it's funny, like when you're around a celebrity, people don't even know you're there. That's true. I'd be places and sometimes my friends don't even see me. I'm six foot six. My friends that are my friends don't even see me because they're so busy trying to get my brother's attention that you don't even know that I was there the whole time. Right. So a lot of BDP stuff or charisma stuff that I was there or either a participant or was right there the whole time. So I got a million stories I want to let off. So that's really what I'm concentrating on at the moment, working on my working my book. And my YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah, well, definitely good luck. And like I said, I um, I literally just started looking at you. Because when I realized that you did have a um, YouTube page, I was like, okay, let me subscribe. And let me check mm -hmm. it out. Because I know there's going to be some stories. I got a bunch of funny stuff happening. Because, you know. Uh, sure. <laughs> and, you know, also, you know, me and my brother's relationship is really funny. Like, a lot of people don't know that KRS-One is actually very funny. You know, most people see him like, you know, you see him as a scholar, you know, speaking at lectures or emceeing. But to, to know him, just Chris Parker, he's really funny. And there's been a lot of really funny incidences that's happened over the years and arguments that we had that um, that he never lets me live down. Uh, <laughs> that that I'm going to just tell the people, you know, that's like, that's real. Actually, I, I could tell you one real quick one right now, just, just off the top of my yep. head. <laughs> We did a show with the Fugees back in 94. I think it was 94. This is before the score. This is was Nappy Head Fugees. Okay. You know, so, uh, right. So it was BDP and the Fugees. And we had a little section in our show where we do freestyles. And um, Chris would bring up MCs if they're in the building, whatever. So who's in the building? Old Dirty Bastard from Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> What's up? He comes on stage. Chris rhymes. A couple people rhymes. He grabs the mic and goes, Ooh, baby, I like it raw. Ooh, baby, I like it raw. He's doing this. And I'm looking like, this is the, what the hell is he doing? So I'm DJing now. And I'm looking, he's, Ooh, baby, I like, like he's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> so I'm like, after the show, I say to Chris, we didn't just I said, yo, Chris, that was the wackest thing I ever seen in my life. Old Dirty Bastard was terrible. Chris <laughs> goes, you're bugging. That style was incredible. Yo, that was the illest style ever. I'm like, you're crazy. Old Dirty Bastard's crazy. All y'all bugging, right? <laughs> this is the conversation we're having back and forth. Fast forward a year later, the album drops. Old Dirty Bastard. 
Ooh, baby, I like it, bro. The whole party's hanging on the ceiling. And I'm like, oh, shit. That was that. So, and of course, Chris never, ever lets me live that down. You didn't <laughs> like the older. I have a bunch of these kind of arguments that we've had over the years. I feel I was right most of the time, of course. Of course. But I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you the ones where I took the L's. And that, was <laughs> L. that was an L. Shout out to ODB, rest in peace with his advanced <laughs> style that I wasn't ready for. I don't think anybody was ready for. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Seth. I really appreciate that. I needed that. Where were you in 95, Seth, when I needed you? <laughs> <laughs> I was probably running around with Tuffy doing something or Ralph or something. <laughs> Shout out to Tuffy. That's my guy, man. Yep. Um, he, I, I saw he get well, he came to my brother's funeral. Um, I don't know if you know my, my brother passed away. Oh, sorry to hear that. So, um, yeah, we, we, we connected there, but yeah, he's, he's still doing well, you know, he's still doing well. But like I said, I, I appreciate your time. And, um, um, oh, let people let people, oh, well, I'm like, let people know the name of the book, and I forgot I had it there. Show. On Amazon, right? Amazon. Yes, you can get on Amazon. You can get on any platform uh, where they sell books, and it's coming into stores now. But my brother's name is Kenny. The greatest true hip hop story ever told. Please pick it up. There's a lot going on in this book. I break down the origin of BDP, the real story, <laughs> um, our upbringing, some crazy stuff I used to see in Latin quarters, Union Square, in the studio. It's all in here. Pick it up when you get a chance. Definitely. Um, once again, oh, let them know. Um, no, you said your YouTube page already. DJ um, Kenny Parker on all platforms, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, DJ Kenny Parker. Um, I'm there lurking. And, and for people that are interested, just put in DJ Kenny Parker and you'll see he's done a number of interviews and you'll enjoy each and every one of them. So um, definitely check that out. Once again, thanks, DJ Kenny Parker. My man said, "Ignored my call for like seventeen months, and then I then I ran into you um at 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 a mall in Jersey. Absolutely, we just just bump into each other. Shout out to your website too. I've been following you. I've been on your site since MySpace. By the way, I just want you to know that (laughs) I I I have your MySpace following. (laughs) Wow." But thanks again. Enjoy your holiday and the rest of the year. You too. Yes, sir, my dude. Always a pleasure. Once again, people, this is Big Said, the industry co-sign, the name of this segment. My friends are better than yours. Yes, they are. And as I tell people all the time, if you can prove it, bring your friends around and we'll see. Thanks, industry co-sign. Till next time, peace, everyone.